You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's Sunday morning, it's 7.30 and that means it is time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and we have got a full studio here today. It's absolutely buzzing with the Hills Mafia gang or the Dandy gang or whoever we would like to call them. Uh, We have got Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill, we've got Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and we have Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs. Good morning guys. Good Good morning. How's everybody? Very well, thank yeah. you. Very well, yep. yes. Did we drive through fog? No, no. surprisingly oh. this morning it wasn't. No, oh, it was not, about eight degrees up in the hills. So Nice and clear in the, yeah. in the hills. A uh, little bit of murk on the eastern freeway, but apart from that, good. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, well, I came through uh, quite a bit of fog where I was coming from, and in the fog there was a cluster of deer. I often see deer, um, but it was, uh, yeah, there was a huge male and we all know how massive they are when you see them very sort of up close and um, his little harem of of females surrounding him. Arch enemy number one. Arch enemy number one, exactly. But, yeah, they do look magnificent, I have to say, but uh, (laughs) standing there in the fog. They are phenomenally beautiful. Yeah. 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 But and they do phenomenal damage as we all know. They do. Yes, yes. So um yes, the dandy gang. We were just talking before, we don't have Virginia here, we don't have Tex. But uh, you guys. I did offer to the wake them both up. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hope they are. Hopefully, they are both up now and and, and listening. listening. Yes. Yep. So yep. good morning to the rest of our gang. Yes. <laughs> yes, and and to all the listeners as well out there who are slowly waking up, making themselves cups of tea and coffee. And you you were talking, Jane. You like a cup of tea I, first thing. Yes, I have to have my girl? cup of tea first thing. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I really don't function Doesn't for the day. Much. So, yeah. But yeah. you you've downgraded to orange juice. I've got orange. Yeah. 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 I'm a bit fussy on my tea and um, Maccas really don't know how to make a good cup of tea. So, um, we were discussing their coffee's getting better, but um, yeah. yeah, their tea is just really not, not there. Yeah, no. Not happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what are you in the morning, Craig? Uh, eyes closed, reaching for the coffee pot. Coffee pot? <laughs> coffee pot. What about you, Jeremy? Well, I know you've the, the, been to Macca's to get a coffee. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cup of tea first thing and then coffee after that. Yeah. Although... Driving in, I always have a coffee. One of my favourite things in the world, driving in my car with a cup of coffee. Yeah. And watching out for deer. And watching out for deer, exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. driving very slow. I have to do 40k an hour until I get to Warrandyte, just in case. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been clearing new areas at Long Acres, which, of course, provides planting opportunities. And you think of what you'd like to grow and then think, well, there's no point. (laughs) It's so disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, all the things you could grow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but no. 
limited to a handful. Mm, that That is very, very disappointing. Mm, and the other day I was doing the round, just checking things out up there, and I noticed one of them had stripped a Daphne, huh. which is the first time ever that I've seen them eat Daphne, and you know, I've used a lot of it at Long Acres because of that. So. Mm. Yeah. Mm, very, very frustrating. What What do you find they don't go for at all? Mahonia or Berberus, mm-hmm. Daphne. Usually. Calicarpa is a good one. It's a very short list, it's isn't it? It's a very it? short it's, list. Yeah, there's yeah. an American book. I have a Calimpornian book with a list of deer-proof plants uh, and amongst lists of plants for every occasion uh, and all the other lists run to a page, two pages, three pages, and then the deer-proof plants is <laughs> it was, uh, it was about 20 lines <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. Oh, you know what, Jeremy, you can look at the American sites and you'll see the plants on their deer-proof list and put them in your garden here and the next thing they've munched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They have a very different palate. And it's the same yeah. with possums, isn't it? Like possums around the country get a taste for different things. Mm. And, and if, if they like X in my garden, they're not going to like it in someone else's garden and vice versa. So I think it's what they sort of grow up eating and what they get a taste for. Yeah, I sort of keep my fingers crossed at the moment um, that they don't touch the galanthus. It's about the only thing that... They don't eat galanthus. They don't eat galanthus, mm. but they tread on them and squash them and all sorts of dreadful things. But... Um, yeah, I don't really want to say it out loud too much because they'll probably decide to eat my all my galanthus and then, yeah. Yeah, I think it's one thing when you've got a private garden and you're just gardening for yourself, but, I mean, you three are all gardening for a living, mm. so to speak, and, uh, yeah, very different scenario. Must pull your hair That's out why they're sometimes. public enemy number one. <laughs> yeah, it's also, I mean, what, what happens to us is, of course, really a luxury problem compared to what they're doing to our forests. Mm. Yeah. Yes, at what point um, the attitude changes towards these animals, I'm not too sure. When you think about it, the the population is doubling every, what, two, three years or so. Mm -hmm. And right now, well, I I had a conversation with someone who who has night vision gear and actually deals with deer and, and has a fairly good idea of how many there are in the hills, and he's, he was thinking most probably a 1,000 to 2,000 mm. in the Dandenongs. Mm. And uh, that number of deer, that, that, that's, that's, uh, that's going to considerably alter the natural ecologies. Yeah. Is that uh, a both species? Or? Well, we didn't, yeah, no, it's just a total number. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it was, it was pretty startling. I, I was thinking most probably 50 to 100 or something like that, but... Not thousands. Mm. Mm. Thousands mm. doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, mm. many different herds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's a situation which I think councils and um, local government and, and federal government are, are really pulling their hair out about because anything that they do, obviously it's, it's a money issue, it's a budget issue. And, um, but then there's everyone around saying we really actually need to do something about this. <laughs> And uh, it's, yeah, it's a very tricky situation. The Dandenongs wouldn't be that difficult to deal with, really, because you're not talking about vast areas of forest. Um, You know, you could have 20 guys with a couple of pots and do a beat through a section of forest and... Yeah, well, Nillambic Council ran the Sugarloaf Link project a few years ago, and that... I can't remember how many years it went for, maybe five years, and that was a, a spotlight on deer, foxes and weeds. 
and so they did um, run a, a culling program through there. Uh, but when you sort of see the scale of the the program, it's quite amazing because, of course, they have to take these deer away, which are massively heavy. So they have these huge convoys of of people rolling up and, um, you know, different vehicles, etc., to take away the animals. And it's um, you can see why it's such a sort of problem to actually try and get it up and going. It's not just a case of a few shooters going out into the forest and, and shooting them, although maybe it should be and maybe we should just let them sort of die down naturally. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's um, quite quite a tricky situation to deal with. Recreational shooters don't really have a big impact because they go through and they just take the biggest stag or, you know, one or two doesn't really have a big impact on the population. You really need colours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it needs to be done in a, in a big way. Um, yeah. As Craig was saying before, the, the damage to the forest is, is, is a lot worse than what the damage is to, to us mm. commercially and mm. stuff too. You'd see that on your land. Yeah. Um, there's these, what they call the game trails, which is where it's gone back to just mud mm. down the banks and, and the wallows that they've got in the beautiful fern gullies and things. You know, there's epiphytic native orchids and stuff down in those gullies that are just gone. Big, mm. You know, there's these huge big mud pools that they wallow around in and things and um, all the stags have their preaching trees where they rub their antlers and the gland in their eye that puts their scent around for the for the other boys. Um, they so they're ring barking trees yep. and things and yep. um, you know all that vegetation that they're eating that belongs to our little wallabies mm. and wombats and things like that. That um, it, it is a big issue. And yes, I get there's people out there that will go, yeah, but they're cute and um, but they're not meant to be here. Mm. Um, so yes, there is going to be that big element of protest if they do some culling, which for people in government and things that comes into it as well of, you know, how much backlash we're going to get from this rather than, um, looking at it from the perspective of we need to protect our Dandenong Ranges, Mm. the rest of Victorian mountain ranges and things. So is there discussion in the Dandenong Ranges, like community discussion, around the deer and what to do with them? Not really, no. <laughs> um, yes, unfortunately I heard the uh, the mayor of the local council being interviewed on the ABC uh, a few days ago and, and someone rang in asking about the deer and there's no plans to do anything. Mm. Uh, it's pretty disappointing. I mean, there's there's a huge effort to deal with horses, brumbies in the high country. But the, the the number of horses in the high country is trivial compared with the number of deer mm. in Victoria. We're talking millions of mm. deer. It's it's it, and, and versus what thousands of horses. Mm. It's it's literally it's a it's on a different level altogether. And and um, deer, well, they have hooves. They and and um, <laughs> and they notoriously damaging of environments. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, uh, Kind of a little jokey thing, but uh, the, the, the parks, the you know, park uh, park garden, that, that was originally a term of abuse because the park was originally a deer park back in medieval times, and um, and deer were notoriously uh, notorious for damaging trees and ring barking trees. Mm. So deer parks were always extremely messy. Mm. 
And so back in two, three hundred years ago, when Capability Brown started making these gardens that uh, demolishing Tudor knot gardens or whatever and, and making these amazing landscape gardens in the 18th century, um, um, he was accused of making deer parks. Mm. And parks, you know, you, you don't make parks, so, you know, parks are messy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and somehow we, we, we think of parks as something rather lovely now, but not with deer in them. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's not one level, one ecological level that they don't destroy. It's from the ground up. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Mm. Frogs, and they must insects, be causing everything. extinctions of flora. Oh, without a because doubt. Because they target specific species and just keep going back to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that mid-level of um, plants, the melaleucas and, and things like that, that get to sort of between three and maybe eight metres, that's a highway for different critters that live in the treetops. That's a safe highway so that they don't have to come down to the ground. And when they're forced to come down to the ground, they're then targeted by foxes and cats. Yep. And mm. Yeah, it's, it's a real tragedy that's occurring before our eyes. The foxes in the hills seem to be in hand at the moment. I haven't seen one for a long time. And uh, the other night I forgot to lock the chooks up and they were fine in the morning, which is, yeah, it says something. Yeah. And also the lyrebirds are everywhere. Mm. They're that's having nice. a, um, a real... A field day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have plenty of lyrebirds. Yeah. Yeah, I had to, put a, had to put a piece of um, wire mesh over the top of some of my rarer galanthus because... Um, the bush chooks, as I call them, um, they just come along and scratch with those big claws and stuff, and you're like, Ugh. like grappling but, hooks. Aren't yeah, they? but um, that sort of thing. You know, you you can sort of protect some of your stuff, but you, you can't against the deer. But anyway, back to lyrebirds. We have a um, we have a nest with an egg in it. So oh. It's very exciting. Do they nest on the ground? Um, very close to it, which is why foxes are. Um, such a good predator. Yeah. Um, but this one, she's got it where it's sort of covered in behind her with a couple of tree ferns and stuff too. So there's, um, as she's looking out, she's got a good vantage point of what's coming at her and things. But um, there is quite a lot of foxes around the farm at the moment. Um, I think they go through this um, sort of, um, it's a bit like Tinder for foxes, I think, <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago of, oh, you can hear all the vixens screaming and the, the boys sort of replying back. It was, yeah. it's kind of spooky. I'm going, I'm going to sort of take note, cause I had heard years ago that there is a couple of days in yep. July where they just go super crazy and, okay. um, that's when they're getting up to Mating breeding time. and things. Yep. So I'll take note next year, whether it is around that same time and. Um, yeah, it's a bit freaky. I thought one of the dogs was getting hurt or something. That They, they make an awful noise. Yeah. Um, I remember mum sort of, she'd just got married and um, dad had gone to deliver flowers to the railway station and a female fox was great and she thought some woman was getting murdered out the bush. <laughs> you know, welcome to marriage on the farm. <laughs> but, oh, terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, there's lots in the bush that uh, makes uh, rather terrifying yeah. noises, including koalas. I remember when, are, I, yeah. when I first came to Australia and I was out in the bush and I was like, oh, my God, there's a wild pig somewhere, everyone. <laughs> no, nope, just a koala. <laughs> Calm down. Tree pig. <laughs> yeah, yep. tree pig. Yeah. Yep. Oh, very good. All right, well, I might get to some community announcements because we've got a lot of plants to talk about um, and I've got some 
um, emails to read out for you guys to answer, hopefully. Um, so let's get to some community emails. Where have I put them all? Okay. Uh, the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens, their winter lecture series continues. Uh, there's four more lectures uh, left. There's two by David Johnson, one on this Thursday, so the 11th at 11am on pollination, plants don't just sit there waiting. Now, this is part two. The part one was last week. I can't imagine that it would be an issue if you hadn't uh, listened to the first one. Uh, following week, Thursday the 18th of August, again at 11am, David Johnson is talking about Lord Howe Island. Thursday the 25th, 11am, Harry Roberts is talking about the Geelong Customs House. And Thursday the 1st of September, Jane Salmon is talking about understanding nomenclature and how plants are named. So that's the Friends of Geelong Botanic Garden. Uh, the winter series, which sounds like it's been quite successful for them. The Werribee Park Heritage Orchard, not orchid as I originally wrote, it's not a heritage orchid, it's a heritage orchard, is having their Heritage Fruit Tree Festival today from 10 until 3pm. Huge range of rare and heritage varieties available as scion for you to graft or for their grafters to graft onto suitable rootstock. They also have established fruit trees and other edibles. There's orchard tours, grafting demonstrations, pruning demonstrations, lots of stalls selling interesting things, hearty food available, free parking and face painting. And it's at K Road in Werribee. And that is literally just the letter K, K Road in Werribee. And if you go to Gate 5 and follow the signs. The Open Gardens Victoria have got, oh, they've got a lot on actually coming up. It's all starting to ramp up, all the lovely gardens. Um, so people should hop onto their website and, and check out what they've got and have a look at the photos and see what appeals to you. On September the 3rd and 4th, there's two gardens, Mullum Waters, which is in Donvale. And this is a um, gorgeous habitat garden that is owned by Sue Geimer and Bill Aitchison. And it provides excellent habitat for many native species from native bees to frogs, birds, with an emphasis on indigenous plants. And I know they're going to be having a couple of speakers. Marilyn Bull, who wrote Flora of Melbourne, will be there. And I will be there on probably on the Saturday as well, having a chat to people. So that should be nice. Um, they've got a gorgeous garden and a, a Phil Johnson billabong there which is yeah it's all very sweet so that's Mullum Waters in Donvale and the other one which is on the same weekend which is in the same sort of area is uh, Bev Hansen's garden so the Hansen garden which is in Warrandyte enjoy the natural bush walk which highlights the love of native orchids wildflowers bird, bird life possums accompanied by the sound of pond life and um, I've been to Bev's garden and it's an absolute delight a master class in design they both sound fantastic. Yes. You could do both of those in the one you day. You could definitely, yep. very, very easily, yeah. So that's um, through opens gar- opengardensvictoria.org.au 
And I should also say that the Open Gardens Victoria competition is still running. It's about recycling in your garden. It's going to be judged by Stephen Wells. Uh, It's open to home gardeners only. Stephen will be looking for diverse, creative, innovative and fun ways you've recycled items in your garden. It could be projects you've made from recycled building materials or everyday items you have recycled as quirky planters um, or used to make interesting garden art pieces. The winner receives a $350 gift voucher from Daisy's Garden Supplies and the runner-up receives a $150 gift voucher. So that's the recycling competition through Open's Garden, Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, what else did I have? Oh, I have to play an announcement, which I think it did play earlier, but I'm going to play it again. Um, this is for the Australian Plants Expo, which is coming up. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group is having its Australian Plants Expo on the 27th to 28th of August, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Huge native plant fair. Thousands of native plants included grafted, uncommon species and indigenous plants with books on related subjects, crow's foot pottery, gift stalls, native flower displays and activities for children. Refreshments will also be available. Wheelchair friendly, adults at $5, concessions $4 and children free. Check out our website for plant lists, apsyarayarra.org.au forward slash Australian Plants Expo. A 3CR supporter. Great. I'm not sure if they mentioned uh, bonsai then, but last time I went they had a fantastic bonsai display, native bonsais. Excellent. Which is, yes, rather good. All right, so I might get to a few of the emails that came Mm -hmm. through during the week. Um, So this one, not so much a question, just a few statements. Philip um, has written in and he was quite taken by the chat that we had with um, Ben Brooker about Mm -hmm. um, the trace elements, um, which I think a lot of people were quite taken with. So I just wanted to say to Phil that he will be back, Ben will be back on September the 4th. Um, no doubt we'll ply his brain again for information about trace elements. Uh, and uh, Philip also mentioned that Australia's favourite native tree pole is up at the moment, which I had forgotten about. I remember there's 33 trees to choose from for the first round and uh, the first round closes on the 11th of August and then... 20 trees get selected or the top 20 uh, go into the sort of final round which ends at uh, August the 26th. There's, yeah, lots of amazing trees including Blackwood, Boab, Bottle Tree, Morton Bay Fig, Mountain Ash of course, Kwandong, there's everything, all sorts of trees there. So um, I went and voted. I'm not going to tell you what which one is It's a secret. But yeah, so the ABC is running that so you can go to, if you just type in um, Australia's favourite native tree poll, um, you will be able to vote and say which is your favourite tree. Um, and when it's over, we'll see where the AB's won. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> You know, I was getting a little bit nervous because I couldn't find Wall of My Pine on it. And I was like, they have to include the Wall of My Pine. But, of course, it's the last in the alphabet for, for the trees. So, so is that what you chose? Yeah. It's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so she slipped up there. <laughs> yeah. 
No, there's, uh, there's some good ones there. Um, all right, so a couple of questions that have come in through the week and I've showed, showed you guys some uh, photos. So Erin uh, from Camden, which is 40 minutes north of Barrel, uh, she says, I'm a podcast listener and cannot, cannot wait to hear each week's podcast when it's released. The 3CR Gardening Show is by far the best gardening show out there. Thank you for all the wonderful things you do. Yeah. So thanks, Erin. <laughs> we, like, we like hearing things like yep. that on a Sunday morning. Um, so Erin has a few issues. Um, first of all, tree dahlia roots. She says, I've been growing tree dahlias for a few years now and they are spectacular. Some of the canes are probably five metres tall. I usually cut them back to ground level each winter if the wind doesn't blow them over beforehand. My problem is the base of the plant. It looks untidy and is pushing my fence over. I was wondering if I'm cutting them back wrong or if there was something I could do to reduce the bulk on the surface of the soil. And that was that top picture which is a extremely big root system that is very close to a paling fence, fence yep. does anyone have any um thoughts on that I dig it up and move it other than moving them. dig it dig it up and <clears> move <throat> it so what would yeah, you I, well they move i imagine they move quite easily but very easily yeah and or propagated yeah, yeah. okay um, so yeah, just, so just slice through a yes, few of the main yeah. roots and obviously she'll have to go into her neighbours to slice through the roots on yeah. the other side. Yeah, the roots and, would be quite soft, wouldn't they? Yeah, and the sooner the better, I guess. Mm. Yeah, mm. Before, it's, before it starts heading off again. Okay, so, and then just move it to a... Yeah, just a bit further out spot. from the fence yeah. too. Yeah. Or, or just dig it out and, and replant a new one using, you know, the canes. Okay, yep. You know, you just bury two nodes horizontally. Oh, yeah. In, in, a, in a more convenient position. Yep. Looks like maybe the fence went in after the dahlia. All right. So Erin also – actually, I think this is a neighbour's. Um, I have a friend in Barrel who has an extensive old box hedge around her house. On one corner of the hedge, some of the plants were sickly. We ripped them out with the intention of replacing them and discovered that the roots were blue. <laughs> Nothing has been spilled on the soil – I've asked a few people and nobody has any suggestions. Um, I originally suggested maybe a dye that they put in glyphosate, but she assures me that that wouldn't be the case. Um, And then she did say the only thing we can think of is the hot water system is nearby and it broke and leaked about two years ago. The water probably went near the affected plants and the the pipes are copper. Copper. That that was my first thought. Copper sulfate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I suggested in the email to her maybe um, someone had used snail bait, a copper sulfate snail yeah. bait or something. I don't yeah. know. It's plants, the most bizarre plants situation. actually don't like too much copper. It's it's a it's a trace element, but you do have to be careful with it. There are districts in Western Australia which are copper deficient, and uh, so for years in the sixties and seventies, people were using. Um, um, superphosphate with copper added uh, until they managed to become uh, turn their their farms um, copper toxic, and it happened quite quickly. It happened over a sort of ten fifteen year period with with tiny amounts of copper going on. So copper could easily be the problem. 
And did you see the photo? Like it's the it the, is blue. The yeah. roots yeah. are really blue. The yeah. older yeah. roots are blue. The the small yeah. feeder roots it's, are fine, but the older roots are very it's blue. It's extremely weird, it, <laughs> isn't it? But, 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 yes, copper is the one thing that jumps out. Yeah, when I googled blue roots, of course I got. Lots of women with you got to be careful what you Google. You very much have to be careful. Um, so, so we're thinking maybe some. So maybe I'd the say pipes? copper leaching from the pipes, the pipes and things, and you might find that those pipes are were considerably old. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they've probably just replaced the pipes and left some of the old copper. In there, and it, it is possible. Yeah. yeah, and that's why her buxus on that end won't be feeling very happy. No, well, they've yeah. pulled it out. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be careful with trace elements. Yeah, you know, the whole point of them is they exist as trace elements. It's yep. tiny, tiny amounts of minerals. Yeah, and too much, and they cause mischief. So I'm just thinking for future plants that they put in. If there's any uh, test that she could do to test for remaining copper in the soil? Well, I think that really all you can do is leach the copper out of the soil, well, apart from replacing the soil and replacing the the, the hedge. Um, It's it's only a part of the hedge. It's only one, I think it was one plant on the corner. Yeah, it will leach out gradually. Uh, might take quite a while. Yeah, so it might be worth removing, as you say. Or remove the soil as much as possible, replace the soil. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like it'll be a bit easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Erin would also like to know, like a tree recommendation, she removed two old large persimmon trees, need something to replace them, don't want a fruit tree, something deciduous with a, with wonderful autumn colour and a canopy to protect the hellebores underneath, something that's not run-of-the-mill. Mm. Um, and we that, like Erin. Yes, yes. Okay, I thought this is like the perfect group to yeah. be asking this question to. So, thoughts? Well, Val was talking to me, uh, Jeremy's wife, on the way in about the tree in my car park, which is a fruit tree, but it's a pretty amazing fruit yeah, tree. Yeah, well, that's Cydonia uh, sinensis, the Chinese quince, mm-hmm. which has fantastic autumn colour. Mm-hmm. Um, a great canopy for yeah, shade for pink pink flowers in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful bark. The bark's like a crepe myrtle, so it's mottled. Or a grisium maple. Yep, mm-hmm. a Yep. And uh, yes, and um, and fruit which might as well be a quince. It's uh, well, I use it like a quince. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of startling that you have true quinces and pretend quinces, and mm. the, the fruit is so similar. Uh, the the trees look entirely different. Hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't pick them as the same yeah. species. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She doesn't necessarily want fruit, so she just was more um, interested in the autumn colour. And uh, where is this garden? Uh, north of near, Barrel. Yeah, North of Barrel. North and she barrel. said the soil's really nice and yeah. um, doesn't get morning sun, but it gets sun for the rest of the day. Uh, well drained soil. Uh, um. Yeah, I mean, there's yep. the obvious choices: the crepe myrtles and, and, and well, things, maples. But, um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, there are so many maples, magnolias, those yep. sort of yes, things that are. But they're, they're um, not going to yeah, the magnolias. Went to the autumn foliage, no. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Chinese pistachio. Um, there was one. There was a almost red emperor, I think it was, that I found, um, which looked like a yeah, a small, a smallish elm. 
Yes. Um, um, Sapium japonicum, that's something which we planted a a couple of years ago, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. It's more of a large shrub than a tree, I suspect, but... um, well, she can lift the canopy. That that's fine. Yeah. Did she have a she had a height limit again? About eight-ish meters. Yep. Yeah. Sort okay. of six to eight meters. And uh, well, some of the witch hazels, Dicanthus sucidifolius. Would witch grow in barrels? Yeah. Well, it was, well it was barrel. Yeah. Maybe it's. Uh, yeah. She it, does that get might frost. be stretching a point. Yeah. Um, it depends. Most probably afternoon shade might be mm. that they would grow. Um, All right. Well, there's a few. Circus, uh, yeah, one, yeah. one or two of the new circuses. Oh, uh, now, not all of them have autumn colour, but one or two of the new ones yep. do. They do? Yeah. yeah the, the, the forest pansy one can Is be it kind pro- of problematic, can't it? Yeah, there's... From um, what point of view? There's, well, there's, one, there's we, one called Merlot, which is uh, more heat tolerant. Mm. Um, there's an interesting golden one, Aurelian, which is pretty handsome. And, and so and for us, it's um, heat tolerant. <laughs> Although maybe that's stretching a point too. Yeah, the Circus are interesting. They grow all the way from Canada. Circus canadensis, mm-hmm. so they grow in Canada, of course, but they grow all the way to Mexico, and it's these southern selections which uh, are best for Australian gardens. Mm-hmm. And uh, they generally smaller leaves, slightly glossy, um, fabulous flowers in the spring, and very useful small trees, especially as they're... They, they, um, uh, they are a legume. They they add a bit of nitrogen to the soil, so they're good companion plants. Mm, did not know that. The other group mm. is dogwoods. Be loads of them. I mean, the one that I love it that is really tough is um, Norman Haddon. Yeah. Which is a cross between Capitata and Cusa. Yeah. And How about Eric Jennett? Do you Eric, know that one? Yes, I do. I've right. got Eric Jennett, and I yep. find very difficult to pick the difference. Right. Okay. It's the yeah. same cross, isn't it's it? The same cross, except it's, by Eric Jennett. Yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to be superior. Yeah, there's yeah. an amazing name in the horticultural world that yeah. we've just heard everybody. So, sadly, so. sadly, Eric died some years ago, yeah. but the Janets uh, at Jembrook and a famous horticultural family of Jembrook, they've been there for, what, about three generations? Yes, exactly. And, yeah, uh, yeah so... And well, Peter's still around, growing a lot of things yes, and stuff and, too. And so. walking yeah. around Eric and Ethel's garden, mm. uh, it was uh, one of the highlights of coming to Victoria back in the 1990s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did a lot of breeding with a, with a lot of different things too, from sort of bulbs through to trees and yep. stuff too. Well, um, what I like about Norman Haddon is the lateness of its flowering. Because all the other dogwoods flower quite early on in the spring. But Norman Haddon, well, last year we, it was in full flower at Christmas. Yep, so it was. And really late. Yep. And a very lengthy flower. That's mm. right, yeah. yeah, yeah. But not a great deal of autumn colour. That's true. Well, Erin, I think there's a... A few there for you to look at. And, I mean, you can even hop onto different sites. I mean, I hopped onto speciality trees quickly and you can put in the height range and say that you want deciduous and it gives you lots of options. So just, um, yeah, somewhere where you can go and have a look at them. But uh, hopefully there'll be some options there and you have to um, let us know how you go and what you end up planting. This is the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop. I'm in the studio with Jane Tonkin, Craig Wilson and Jeremy Francis. 
The number, if you want to uh, ask us a question, is 94190155, or you can send through a text 0488809855. We can't receive photos on that, unfortunately, so just texts. Um, Otherwise, during the week, feel free to send through an email. The address is three, just the number three, cr.gardening.com at gmail.com and a few people have done that during the week Uh, Ross from Carnegie says thanks for a wonderful engaging show each week attached are pics of an apple tree along with some 3CR listening bees. So he's got a beehive there and apparently they listen to 3CR um, and they have their own Instagram account called Bees of Carnegie, which is very, very cute. Um, he's had them for three years and he said his um, the yields of his produce plants have increased a lot since Excellent. he's had them. Probably unsurprisingly, but good to know. Um, he well, they purchased an apple tree from Ripon Lee. It's one of their heirloom varieties. Lost the jolly tag, so not sure what it is. Like all suburban gardens, we have possums. The tree and possums have cohabitated for well for many years. They would eat a bit of foliage, and we would protect the apples. This year, the possums practically denuded the tree. I realise I can't get rid of the possums and am chasing some advice on how best to prune them. It is unlikely that the tree had any opportunity to resorb the nutrients from the leaves prior to dormancy. Um, yeah, so, and he sent through some photos of a, yeah, a very well munched but reshooting apple tree. So any thoughts, guys? You have to be able to isolate it and... and Form some sort of barrier. barrier. Yep. Yep. This is. I notice it is way. close to the fence, so Posse is probably mm. just hopping along, along the, the fence, fence going straight from, onto the from apple. buffet to buffet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Looks and, like it needs a good prune. Yeah. So, so I think that's what he was um, more keen on learning about what sort of pruning. How far will a possum jump? Oh, very far. Yeah. 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 A, a, a couple of meters. Yeah. Yeah. A couple yeah, of meters. Yeah, yeah. About two they're, meters. They're yeah, that's, yeah. It's difficult. Oh, it is quite close to the fence, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, we, we have a problem with um, uh, a magnolia denudata, which is when it's flowering is just amazing. It's colossal. Uh, it's up about 15, 20 metres high. It's just ridiculously big for a denudata, but, but it's next to an elm. And so we have to have an arborist go up and separate the two trees to, because the possums, they, they, they won't eat the leaves of the... Your data, but they will, will eat the flowers, of course. You eat all those <laughs> fleshy buds yeah. before that. Yeah. So, well, so you we don't have want to have flowers so anyway, <laughs> Well, well, don't we're sort of peering at these two trees, and they're up, you know, as I said, 20 metres high, both of them, and, and we've got to. Yes, an arborist just goes up and creates a gap. Possum <laughs> and, gap. Yeah, yeah. well, once, yeah. once every two years or so. It's a rather expensive exercise. <laughs> what I'd be doing with that apple tree is to, to cutting the branches right back to horizontal branches. Um, can you see, you can see some horizontal branches that are sort of perhaps two... Oh, th- yes. Yep. yep. Right back down there and, and trying to maintain it as a lower plant so that you can then net it or something yeah 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 okay 
And so semi-aspalia, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. and remove, or, uh, remove quite a number of those. The big tall. The, the tall sort shoots, of shoots, yep. yeah. And maybe even, uh, yeah, I mean, it is tricky because it looks like there's plenty of other plants around and possums going to be coming from all angles, I would, I would <laughs> the, say. The fence makes <laughs> yeah. isolation impossible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, unless you make a sort of standalone cage and put it over the top of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, a, a rigid type of cage and then... But any form of height reduction is going to make it easier to protect. Yep. And you'll still get apples, so, mm. yeah. All as right. long as you know what a fruiting spur looks like. Yep. Um, well, Ross, hopefully that's... Craig's going to run a masterclass. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Fruiting spurs. Um, Okie dokie. So a couple of texts have come through. Uh, I have a number of double white tree dahlias in my backyard, which have put on a magnificent show. They were hit by frost a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago and the leaves have wilted, but I haven't cut them back yet. I'm wanting to give away canes to friends for propagation. Is it too late to do this now after the frost? I don't want to give them something that isn't going to work. Thank you for your fantastic show. I listen to the podcast every week and that's Kate from Brunswick. I think it'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. surely. I mean, the, the leaves, yes, the leaves so we can easily be damaged by frost, but surely not the canes. The canes yeah. would take a really hard frost to, to do the whole cane because yeah, yeah, you're probably talking about two metres. There was yeah. a massively yeah. hard frost. That's interesting. I'd do it now. <laughs> Give it to her friends. Yeah, I haven't seen the double white. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. A, oh, yeah, it's a, mm. it, it was uh, one of those things promoted uh, what twenty years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and mm. uh, great excitement, and, and then it's kind of disappeared a little bit. But oh, it's nice to know there's people with them yeah they're, they're yeah. worthwhile spreading them around yeah i've been Beautiful. planting them at long acres the double white one because dahlias the deer don't eat dahlias hmm. yeah. put so it on the list <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> number two yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. we use quite a lot of dahlias yeah beautiful yeah. very good all right um we have a random text that just says I'm awake, up and listening. So that's whoever you are, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, hi, 3CR Dandenong team. It might have been Jenny or Tex. <laughs> yes, very true. Um, hi, 3CR Dandenong team. We purchased tickets to visit Tonkin's Bulbs during the Radiothon and are really looking forward to seeing you and the nursery again, Sue. Oh, Sue. Ah, oh, maybe Sue. What's that? Um, the oh, Sue Stevens, it's, propagator. Yep. Um, always love waking up to the team on a Sunday morning from Vicky, Peter, and Zeus the dog from Notting Hill. I remember that they came into Karanga about oh, a couple of months ago, so I, I got to meet them all and yep. Zeus the dog. Zeus wasn't. Overly excited to meet to, me, to be to there, no, yeah. okay. <laughs> and all those people that that are on that list for the masterclass on the first, or I shouldn't call it a masterclass really, because it's just going to be chatting about plants. It's not. Um, you will hear from me or AB or um, someone closer to the date, so that we can finalise. Um, Proceedings for the day Fine, and give you what we're drinking. Yep, and, that's and all the um, oh, and the plants, of <laughs> yeah. course, and how to get there because we're a little bit difficult to find. So, yes, but yes, yeah, so don't don't worry. I have all the contact numbers and stuff yep. on the computer, um, and we will get back to you um, closer to the date. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think. Yep. Yep. 
Um, Michael from Forest Hill would like some suggestions for noise reducing plants, traffic noise reducing plants, two metre high, western exposure, natives or exotics. Uh, Bad news, Michael. Yeah, the plants really don't <laughs> scream noise. Yeah. Uh, there's a very weird thing that uh, the, the noise will carry through a forest better than it will carry in the open air. Um, and, uh, there's, and there's no, no logical uh, – uh, uh, you, you notice it, but you, <laughs> there's no explanation for it. Uh, the, the best thing to stop noise is a solid screen, mm. sadly. Um, yeah, or so. move. Or move. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I, I, no, it is I true. Having, having said that, <laughs> yeah, having yeah. said that, <laughs> we, we actually live right beside the, uh, the Mount Dandy Tourist Road uh, and we do have a screen which does work a little bit. It's it's um, actually sycamores and hollies. <laughs> <laughs> And they're growing so densely, literally with their trunks almost touching, that it does slow down the noise. Mm. But that, that's the thing. It's, it's actually the trunks of the trees will uh, stop the noise. And uh, in, in our case, the, 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 there's hardly a gap between the trunks of the trees. But they are sycamores and hollies, and they're both extremely horrible trees. Mm. But um, Invasive. And, yeah, yeah, invasive and nasty, and the sycamores um, end up with aphids on them, which drop honeydew in the autumn, which sort of wrecks our car. Yeah. You're not selling <laughs> it, These are really trees, but they do stop the noise. Yeah. We're not telling them to put in sycamores and <laughs> but, but, yeah, Oh, so maybe a hedge camellia or something might, yeah. you know, do something, but, yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'd, I'd actually put a solid screen in, and, and then put something in front of and it. And put something in front yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. put a plant in front Even of it. Even brush fencing or something that's yes. just going to yep. reduce. But you can hide or, that with yeah. something yeah. else. Or you could put yeah. sections of it um, just to mm. maybe sort of break it up a little bit. Mm. And I mean, in terms of dense plants, yeah, there's a bunch of bottle brushes that you could mm. use. Uh, Corias, Coloban River comes to mind. It's upright, dense. Um, leptospermums. Well, you're always thinking about clistamin or malaleuca. Yeah, malaleuca. Really yeah. When you prune them, they get thicker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you do need the solid screen, which yeah. is why yeah. when you're driving along a freeway, you see screens everywhere, and they are solid screens, and they put plants in front of them. Yeah. It's the same story. Yeah. And we have this issue with dust, you know, and you can't, mm. it's the same thing, you can't screen it out. Mm. Yeah. 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 Along uh, where I am, Skyline Road. There's signs the whole way along, please slow down. Our water's brown because we've all got rainwater around there and, and people that use no use it as a thoroughfare, they fly along there. And, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. All right, guys, let's get to some plants. You have brought so many in, so who would like to Jeremy start? can go. Jeremy's we'll going to go. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've brought a little collection of Hemimelis, the, the witch hazel sin, and um, uh, there's three of them... Um, Planted as a group, um, I'm trying to think how long they've been in. About 15 years, I suppose. And um, there's some Arnold Promise, which is a, a rusty red, I suppose. Um, there's straight Hemimelis uh, mollus, which is a, a good yellow. And then there's Pallida, which is by far the best. And we have a couple of specimens of Pallida. And um, but I, by far the best in terms yeah, of yeah, much more floriferous and mm-hmm. and the uh, 
much more dramatic as a garden plant. And but, vigorous? Uh, yeah, uh, reasonably vigorous as well. Uh, there's there's uh, some new ones uh, which I, I don't, I'm not uh, quite sure how they perform in the garden. Um, but Paldo is quite an old one, which is just absolutely superb. So if you've got room for one, I'd use that. Mm-hmm. It's a lemon yellow. It's a really useful colour at this time of the year. Uh, we, we have um, one just below the um, our nursery shop and uh, another one further down in the garden. Fabulous things. And, and uh, interesting because they flower in the middle of winter and also uh, lovely foliage, um, large Corrugated pale green leaves through the the uh, summer in good autumn colour. Yeah. Sounds beautiful. Yep, good things. Yep. So you'd recommend Pallida if you had one. Which yeah. So or... of of these three, oh. uh, Pallida is by far the best. Yeah. Can I have a smell? They, they actually don't smell very strong. In fact, they, I hardly smell. My, at my all. nose is not good, but but Ooh, but yeah. but it, but it generally uh, oh, yeah. it it, yeah. it does. All the books say it has a perfume. It does. <laughs> it, 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 it does. does. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Jane. Because um, so we're sort of fruity. Yeah. yeah. So we go with um, witch hazels, hazels and the winter sweets and stuff. Jeremy, um, Doctor, uh, sorry, Stephen was talking about a while ago of yeah. the these things in the winter that have a fragrance, like your Pieris and and stuff too, have a mm. beautiful Lacoria. fragrance. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Go for it. Which hazels? It's, it's, it's Gorgeous. It's interesting, isn't it? There's some, there are a, a whole group of plants which, uh, with a perfume in the winter, mm. I, I suppose uh, plants flowering at that time of the year need to advertise. Yeah. Uh, another one is the uh, weeping uh, is the uh, Prunus mermaid, a fabulous perfume, mm. yeah. and we we have one that's just finishing now. That start that flowers during June, July. Uh, but the perfume uh, can drift around uh, for hundreds of metres. Wow. It's just extraordinary. I wonder if that's because there's fewer insect pollinators yeah. around in the winter. Yeah, and the I'm plants need to get the message out yeah. with yeah. every bit of effort mm. they can. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Winter, winter flowering shrubs almost invariably have perfume. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Daphne, of course, springs to mind. Mm. All right, Craig, you're up. Craig has um, a huge pile. A oh, plethora. Look, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, always be prepared. <laughs> Iris unguicularis, um, and this is a form of it. Unguicularis is the old Algerian iris, which most old gardeners would know. It's inevitably tough, yeah, and, tough yeah. and reliable. But there's a form that Marcus Harvey, or the late Marcus Harvey from Tasmania, bought in. Um, it's a subspecies called Cretensis, which I think is infinitely superior. Um, it has really nice foliage, big, wide, broad leaves. It's a lot wider than the normal. Much, much, yeah. much wider than mm-hmm. the normal one, and it seems not to have so much dead foliage on it at this time of the year. Is that the foliage there? That's, yep. that's so that's wider, is it? Much so it's only wider. about a centimetre and a, maybe a centimetre yeah. and a half wide. It's nearly twice the width wide. of a normal unguicularis. Yeah. 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 yeah, And as Craig's saying, with the normal ones, you, your clump can have all these beautiful flowers on it and some nice green foliage still coming and things, but there's all this dead that's sort right. of, and they can look a bit scrappy. Yeah. So this one in particular. I think, yeah. and then the flower is... Droopy. Yeah, well, it's droopy now. <laughs> it's been in the car. It's, it's, a, it's violet um, with yellow spotting. And I think it's a more, a more solid colour mm. than what you get on Unguicularis, the species. 
and the hybrids from Ungricularis, like Blue Stripe and Bella. Is that a smaller iris flower than usual in inverted commas? Such a big genus. Yeah, <laughs> that's why the inverted commas. Because yeah. to me, from what I know of irises, which is not a lot, uh, a lot of the species iris um, tend to have a, a smaller flower compared to yep. like your, your beardeds and things like that that sure. most people yeah. would know. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, Angricularis flowers down in amongst the foliage. They all wow. do that. But what I like about this one is its leaves and then its use in the shade mm-hmm. with, with, you know, nice big bold and strappy leaves. And drought tolerant too, aren't they? Very, like, yeah. Yeah. very yeah. tough. Yeah. The, yeah. Indestructible. Yeah, the best yeah. clump I've seen was up at Yay in an old farmhouse which is, uh, you know, um, built a hundred years ago, collapsed. The, 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 it was just the ruins of the house. But uh, the one plant that survived in the garden was the Algerian iris. Oh, I saw it in the winter with hundreds and hundreds of flowers. I've never seen anything so floriferous mm. as this clump. Of but the clump fruit. just gets bigger. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like Photodissima that sets all that the red seeds that get spread by birds and stuff mm. around through the bush and things. Um, the clump just gets bigger. It's not. Um, Not a invasive either. Yeah. No, no, no photodissima is, is a shocking weed, yeah. actually. Yeah. Mm. But there is a variegated mm. form of photodissima that's it's not quite weedy. lovely, too. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't but yeah, flower. some of the, the species iris is, is a different thing to add. Um, and these ones that flower during the winter, uh, there's another little one, um, Lazica, as well, which is um, its rhizome looks particularly like a bearded iris rhizome, so it just sits on the top too, and it has a flower very, very similar to the Uncicularis as well, but it has a fan of leaves mm-hmm. um, and forms a beautiful clump too. So mm. there's some ones out there that you can think of to add colour in the winter, yep. I think. Yep. Woodland and iris. Yeah. Yep. And in pots? Yeah, I don't see why not. Yep. yep. Not, don't see why not. Not one of those plants that would, needs to be really deep or anything. No, like you would put one of those in a... Um, probably a seven, eight-inch pot anyway, which okay, has got yep. depth yep. because you need to give it room. You don't want to have to repot it every year. Yep. Um, yeah. Pretty yeah. easy. Hmm. Um, Cyclamen, Cyclamen pseudibericum is the latest one to come out, yes. <laughs> which is the most beautiful colour. It's, it's stunning. Know, yeah. It almost has mauve in it, doesn't it? it uh, and it, it almost looks um, glossy. Yeah. A bit, so... And it's sort of a dumpy flower, like comb. Yeah. So short petals. Jane's drooling. Yeah. And then the the foliage has the the Christmas tree pattern in the centre of it, which is lined with silver, and then green again on the outside, and almost sits directly on the ground. So the foliage really doesn't come up at all. So that's Pseudibericum. And look, it's another one that's naturalised in my garden. You know, it's starting to pop up in the lawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there, there is something about cyclamen and the dandenongs that just go, we must have a very similar climate to the mountains around the Mediterranean. I, I think Gentiana probably has the most am, amazing cyclamen, cyclamen display mm-hmm. um, in a whole of Australia somehow. Yeah, I, it's it's uh, incredible. If Do yourself a favour. If you go to the Dandenongs, go and have a look at Cloud Hill. Go go and see Craig. And it is just amazing. Well, I desperately try to think of how to describe that colour. It's yeah. a, sort of a rosy purple. But yeah. rather as a purplish yeah. rose. It's yeah. a deep mm. uh, rose, a dusky. Does it smell? And, and it's just a lovely it's thing. It's a very strong colour. Yeah. Oh, it does. Is it? Yep. 
It's not super pleasant, <laughs> but it does have a fragrance. So that flower obviously sits well above the foliage. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's amazing how deep the tubers go. Yeah, there, there is, you know, you can see when I've pulled it out, so this much would be sitting above ground level and, yep. and there would be, what, 10 centimetres yeah. buried? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's how deep the tuber is. Right. They pull themselves right down, so don't ever think that they need to be planted on the surface. They tolerate the surface. They like to be buried. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. What else? What else is happening in that black oh, tray no, over there, Craig? There's another collection <laughs> in the garden, which is what used to be Mahonia. I haven't quite got used to the fact that they're now Berberus. Um, and this one is Wagneri moseri, which is in the Aquifolium group. So it's a smaller grower, and it has beautiful foliage in the winter. Um, in reds, and then it has red new growth and yellow flowers in the spring. Almost holly-like foliage. Yeah, sort of all that orange-yellow in there yeah. in summer, but and it's one that needs to be grown in sun. It needs a bit of sun, not yeah. too much. Yeah, um, and it gets to about a meter, I suppose, and suckers out to form a thicket, as most of the little ones seem to do. But it's a it's a lovely plant. Yeah. How long will it flower for? Six weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the buds are just starting now, yep. so it's quite late. A lot of them are finished now. Have you got it near that cyclamen? Cause I have, actually. Really get the colour combination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but look, yeah. And did have, you say you planted a, quite a lot of those at Long Acres or something? I have yeah. used lots yep. of Mahonia at yep. Long Acres, yeah, um, because they like the shade and they don't get eaten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not even by oh no, I was thinking of the cyclamen getting eaten by snails. The cyclamen get eaten by deer. Okay. Yeah. Nice little delicacy. Yeah. 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 It's like a little on palate cleanser. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jane. What's, what's yeah. happening? Over okay, there? I'm going to go with um, one of my favourite of all time um, bulbs, or actually, it's a true corm rather than a bulb. Um, talking about tecophilia or Tecophilea, whichever side of the fence you come from, Cyanocrocus. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it is – common name is Chilean blue crocus, although it isn't a crocus. Um, so sometimes these common names get us all confused because mm. everyone will go, can I have the blue crocus? And Yeah. yeah. Um, so it comes from the Andes in Chile, so um, near Santiago. Um, and it's up to about sort of two to – 3,000 metres high um, in um, very well-drained sort of sandy or gravelly sort of um, yep. stony mix um, where it's protected over the winter by a blanket of snow. Mm-hmm. So it actually doesn't get a lot of moisture during the winter even though um, if they now start doing their growing process, um, they still need to be kept relatively dry over the winter um, as well yep. and a really good dry summer rest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the fact that it is the most intense, gorgeous blue. This mm. one's been a little bit snails and slugs they don't like, um, but it was looking perfect a couple of days ago and then now it's looking a little bit sad. But um, the most intense cobalt blue you will ever see in a um, bulbous thing, I think. Um, so it's said to be a little bit difficult. People get a little bit afraid, but if you... Um, 
Is that because of the drainage issue? Yeah, it's exactly. Drainage in yep. winter as well, which as well kind of as tricky. the and the dry summer rest is yep. essential as well. We lift ours every year. A because I'm doing it commercially, but yep. um, and B just that you know how your corms are going and um, can protect them over the summer. Yep. Um, and I always put the corms on a bed of gravel halfway down the pot too, so that it aids drainage away from the bottom of the corm. So there's a little trick too. Um, but yeah, one of the most fabulous of all bulbous things, I think. I think the most difficult thing is finding them to buy. <laughs> that may be true too. Yeah, they're very slow to increase. Yeah, so that's right. um, they don't offset very easily. Yeah. Um, the corm has to be quite large before it'll um, put off offsets. Um, and we'll grow from seed. But again, a lot of these bulbous things from seed can take um, sort of five to six years to flowering size. So yep. um, you have to be a bit patient. But if you can get hold of a decophilia. Um, decophilia. Yeah, yeah. Yep. it's quite exotic really, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. gorgeous. Well, it's we are talking quite... Santiago. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah. it's not mm. very big. No, is, it's is, that, a, is that its height? Yeah, that's its height. So yeah. it only gets to about... Um, 10, 12 centimetres tall, but the actual flower when it's open is bigger than a 50 cent piece, if that makes mm. sense. Um, the most common, well, the most well-known, I suppose, is straight Sinocrocus, but there's two other um, variations, which are Lecklinii, which is this one with the more white in the centre, and then there's Violacea, which is um, distinctly more purple. Mm-hmm. Um, and darker, isn't and it? And darker. Yeah, mm. there are, there, there is two species in the in the genus, the other one is um, Viola flora, and I'm not sure that that is actually um, in this country at all. Um, Fermi, if you're listening, darling, um, if you know, <laughs> just send me a text message. Um, or if you've got one, um, put it aside. Thanks. <laughs> um, so the the problem with this poor little darling is that it's now endangered in its wild habitat, and that's due to overgrazing with sheep and environmental issues and things like that. Um, but you can imagine a hillside full of this blue, you know. Stunning. So, again, that's why it sort of tops some of my favourite things because of the fact that we need to preserve um, and hopefully one day even um, plant back would mm. be fabulous. Mm. So. so the fact that it comes from such a high altitude area, are we talking it likes to be out in the sun? So um, not in sort of the... Yeah, but, uh, area of our springs and things like that, um, yeah. the, the temperatures are fine. It's just that if it, if our springs were hotter, I'd be concerned about it being out in full sun mm-hmm. just because of the fact that they will burn. Yeah. Um, I think you'll find the temperature up in the mountains there and stuff is a lot cooler than what we... So for, you know, people downtown, like I have friends in Footscray that have grown it and flowered it and stuff too, so... Okay. Um, yeah, I just I would suggest trying in a pot first before you whack it in the garden. Oh, I was going to say it so obviously grows perfectly. Perfectly in a pot. In a pot. Yeah, yeah. just some of these things, that, and you, you pay more money for um, this rarer stuff too. And yep. so if you can look after it in a pot and get it going, then transfer to the garden. Um, so be it. Yep, beautiful. Yep, it's a good pot plant. Yeah, <laughs> as yep. opposed to some some bulbs, which you know, getting them through their dormancy it's can be really difficult yep. in pots. Yeah. Jane, do you make your own potting mix for the bulbs? I do, um, and depending on what things are. So we get a general potting mix with a pH between about 5.5 and 6.5 from Spotswood at Yarra Glen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then depending on what I'm planting, whether I add leaf mould, compost, gravel, perlite, um, and I add extra 
food and things to them. So depending on what I'm planting, yeah. Um, a lot of the species daffodils, you know, might require like cyclamenius. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires a little bit more of a denser mix than your run of the mill daffodils. It likes to actually be a bit moister because it comes from wet meadows and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you if you know what you've got and what you're planting then you can adapt your potting mixes um, to that. But start with a general potting mix. And, and it's fun mixing things up. It's a bit like making cakes. And do you but, take note of what ingredients you're putting in? And Don't so ask you, me that. <laughs> so that would be a no? <laughs> no, I um, – yeah, this is a no. Uh, there's going to be someone laughing at home right now. Um, I don't measure anything. Yep. And it really irks him. But anyway <laughs> – like okay, Calanthe orchids um, Kira repotted last year for us, and he wrote the recipe out on the blackboard. Whereas you know, uh, even my Fritillaria imperialis, the big crown imperial, I do by hand, feel, smell that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you just get used to it, I suppose. I, I probably should write a lot of it down, and then you know, I could at least go A B, come and pot this, and give you the. Yeah, the list or something. Yeah, but yeah. No, it's all so in it's my head. It's all in your head. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about with the ingredients. Why you'd add a particular ingredient extra to that potting mix? Okay. So um, leaf mold and good quality compost. That sort of stuff that you find under the oak leaves. So mm-hmm. shift all the old oak, and it's that peaty, rich, humus, yummy stuff. A lot of. Um, Fritillarias and things like that that come from woodlands up in the Himalaya and stuff, they they need that sort of soil to do well rather than just a free-draining, run-of-the-mill potting mix. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things need extra drainage, so that's where your perlite or gravel comes in. Yep. Perlite's just a lot lighter, although the dust-off perlite is a lot worse than mixing in some gravel and making your potting pot a bit heavier. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to use gravel a lot as a drainage supplement and stuff. What sort of gravel? It's supposed to be seven mil mix that I just get from the garden centre down at Kilsyth. Um, and, yeah, depending on what you are growing and how much drainage it needs. Because e- even in the one genus, like, like Narcissus, you know, something can need a lot of drainage or it can need um, a more sort of compact mix for, you know, like a wet woodland sort of mix compared to an open free for your normal daffies and things so it's about finding out where something comes from in the in the wild too to try and replicate that to the best of your ability species lilliums you know normal lilies you can just whack in potting mix in a pot you know your aratums and allays and Mm -hmm. asiatics and things but the species that come from the high mountains in the himalaya or the um appalachian mountains in north america um, they need that woodland yummy mix. So that definitely needs you to take time if you're putting it in a pot or even in the garden to mix that sort of good stuff in to give them a, a good go to begin with. Mm. And I guess that's maybe why like the Dandenongs and the Blue Mountains, they really are the yep. home for these Yeah, we have we have plants, great soil to start yep. with. But, um, you know, I'm doing this as a commercial thing as well as the fact that I love all this stuff. Um so we do grow a lot of stuff in pots and polystyrene boxes to protect from things like deer and wallabies yep. and wombats and things that, um, you know, you have a have a patch of Lilium Lincoln gents and it gets squashed or eaten by deer and I'll probably curl in a ball. <laughs> so, yeah, it's 
it's finding those right conditions and those right mixes and things. And that takes time too, you know. Yep. Um, we don't do that overnight. And there's no textbook that will tell you that. There's no horticultural degree that will tell you how to grow Lilium Lincoln Gents mm. um, or take a fillet. Like mm. it's, it comes down to, to practice and um, your own research and knowing what conditions that you have. You know, how high do you get in the summer? And you know what time does the sun set over the hill? Yeah. Um, that kind of thing to, to then adjust your little microclimate to what you're growing, which can be fun too. That's, you know, it's all about learning. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed uh, Sue Stevens um, a couple of months ago for an article that's coming into Gardening Australia September issue about propagating your own natives. And boy, oh boy, does she have the knowledge. And she does. Yeah. I, I could just sit there for a week, I think, and just say, just talk, Sue. And luckily she does like talking. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. She has got the most incredible information and we've tried to distill part of it and put that into the article for people who want to have a crack at growing. She's um, a beautiful natives. human too. She She's is, a great, yep. great soul. Her so. garden's incredible. So, yeah. Yep. You know, the um, soil of the Dandenongs is good, but it doesn't have a lot of guts. And if you don't improve it mm-hmm. constantly, it dries out really quickly. Is that so? Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's, yep. it's the – I mean, I was brought up on volcanic soil in New Zealand, which is pretty similar, and we had the same issue. And, and you could see the line on our farm in the summer where the volcanic soil stopped and the clay started and the clay would be green and the yep. volcanic would be brown. Um, so it really needs a lot of humus added to it yep. to retain moisture. And that's something you do constantly, don't you? You're Absolutely. always working on your garden. Obsessively. Yep. The neighbours look at me and they go, Another load of mulch. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The difference is phenomenal. Yep. They've yeah. got nothing better to do than watch you spread mulch. <laughs> yeah. What sort of mulch do you wood use? Chip. Okay. Arborists wood chip. Yep. Yep. $50 a truckload. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is super Cheap recycling too, you know. Like it's, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's local. Yep. Mm. Yeah. What about uh, at uh, Cloud Hill? Uh, well, yes, we <laughs> buy truckloads of the stuff, although, um, yeah, mainly for the borders, and we use a, um, uh, spend a bit more than, <laughs> a bit more money on ours. Um but yes, uh, all the borders are mulched every year. Yep. Um, Using uh, uh, well, uh, a, a, a fine mulch, uh, a commercial mulch, um, so it's something which is pulled into the soil over uh, six, twelve months or so. So pine bark based. Um, well, uh, yes, um, yeah. I, look, I, at a certain point, we've used two or three different types. Mm. We used to use Richie Nottages mm-hmm. in the old, good old days. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sadly, he's no longer with us. But uh, but uh, if anyone, uh, but uh, if anyone's ever used Richie's um, mix, we we try and find something similar mm-hmm. um, and just hunt around. Um, otherwise, um, well, uh, we we they are. Uh, we, we have beech trees everywhere, and so all mm, the beech beautiful. leaves go yeah. back onto the uh, onto the groups. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, so everything is mulched. And, and in fact, uh, in, if you walk into the groups, and the mulch is really, really thick quite often, just a mm. natural mulch. Mm-hmm. The be- beech leaf is by far the best. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. And, uh, yes, we, we have a ridiculous number of them, so mm-hmm. it's very handy. And this time of year, what are you doing with the borders, if anything? Um, 
not much with the borders. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have been uh, working on one of the beach hedges, the uh, Copper Beach Hedge beside the warm borders. Uh, he um, took back one side and the top um, last winter, and this winter we've just taken back the top a tiny bit more. And so we'll leave it. So, so we're actually renovating this hedge. So the hedge, um, uh, the beginning uh, eighteen months ago, it was up about three meters high, and it was about more than two meters across. So we're <laughs> using up way too much space. So we took it back by um, over a meter, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the the height, and and and. Um, took the uh, one side right back to the stems of the trees. Um, in fact, I say two metres, it's more like four metres wide now I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and now we'll, and, and I'm just not too sure whether we'll leave it for another 12 months or 24 months before we take back the final phase. Mm-hmm. I mean, the critical thing with, uh, with a, a hedge like um, using beech for a hedge is that the trees are thin-barked and so you've got to be very careful um, with sun exposure in the summer and, of course, you're taking off, uh, taking a, tr- um, a hedge right back to the trunks and so it's fully exposed. Um, now, the sun, as soon as uh, the spring sunshine gets onto the tree, the, the um, it stimulates buds which burst out from the from the bark um, and uh, this has to happen pretty quickly so that you don't get any damage to the bark. Mm-hmm. So, yes, um, so you have to be careful clipping. Now, this is true for any hedge, really, yeah. but uh, um, when we're just conventionally clipping, it, that that's uh, done in the um, November, December, so early summer, um, and we pick a cool two or three days we, we we need at least three cool days before we clip the hedges um, because there again you're exposing in this case the leaves um, um, but um, renovating a hedge well it only happens once every 20 25 years or so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so so it's an experiment uh, first time we've done it and uh, uh, as I said, uh, we'll, we'll just figure it out um, next year. The the, the hedge, uh, the the side we took back uh, last winter uh, last winter has responded pretty well, but um, I like to say quite a bit thicker before we take back the final face. Yep. I love all the consideration that's gone into oh, it. Oh, we, we sweat blood over this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful hedge. We've yeah. got to make sure yeah. we do the right thing by it. Yeah. And I have seen someone who just had a row of beech trees and just chopped them back in the middle of summer and destroyed them. Um, it's, you can do it. It's, it's just ridiculous. And or that, it killed that, that, them. Well, uh, well, there was so much damage to the bark that uh, the trees were ruined. Mm. Um, yeah, so um, you, you, you do need, care, you need to approach this carefully. Um, otherwise, we're, we're we're just going doing lots of clipping. Actually, yep. we're going through all our box hedges and 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 um, um, and just tightening them up, mm-hmm. and uh, it's always very exciting. Um, Reshaping and, and you know things improve a little bit year by year. Mm. Um, we planted for ewes, which was kind of a scary thing to do do because ewes are not very reliable, but we. Planted four years, about fifteen years ago, 
but these weren't the conventional Texas Bacata. These are Texas Cross Media Hixie Eyes. Don't so, know. Yeah, it's a, well, it's one one of the kind of nurseries was playing around with. Um, they've never really got it going because, well, you know, use <laughs> it's a bit of a specialist item. Um, but these are, uh, but the. the we, uh, the uh, the thought was to plant these out um, as topiary specimens, and whenever people have asked me about doing this, I've, I've always said, well, don't plant them out formally, just scatter them around the garden. You, you'll lose most of them, but one or two of them will grow, and they're, they're the ones you work with. And you see use through old gardens all, all the way through Melbourne. So sometimes they will grow, but don't plant them as a hedge because half your hedge will die. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just not reliable. Yeah. But they these ones, a fair bit. That's true. And, 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 in fact, you're quite right, Craig. And when we started work at Cloud Hill, uh, there were ewes everywhere, mm-hmm. seedling ewes everywhere, and about half of them were dead. <laughs> They'd actually grown for two or three years and then died. So that was a, that was an inkling as to what goes on with Texas Bacata. The other th- interesting thing about them was that um, in the old days when the Woolwich family had the nursery there, they they were listing all the ewes. So they had the English ewe, the straight English ewe, the golden English ewe, the vestigiate uh, uh, Irish ewe, so-called Irish ewe, and also the golden Irish ewe. And we had seedlings scattered everywhere, and you could tell that you know, they, they they came true. Mm. A bit like Japanese maples. <laughs> I find out that yeah, you, sometimes the seedlings will be the fastidious yeah. Japanese ewe and sometimes they'll be your straight Texas Bacata. Yeah. We've yeah. actually got two golden English ewes, which are seedlings. Right. And yet one of them in particular is, is better than the original. The, the seedlings are pretty good. But that, that's how you grow ewes, generally speaking, except that we have had success with this cross-media Hixie eye form. <laughs> and so we've... Fifteen years later, we're, we're growing them into topiary shapes. We've got another three, four, five years to go, and they'll be good. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, so, long, slow job. Oh yeah, yes, you just got to make sure you live a long time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, everyone, you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. I'm AB Bishop, and I'm in the studio with Craig Wilson, Jeremy Francis, and Jane Tonkin. If you would like to ring in with a question, you can call us on nine four one nine zero one double five. Uh, I've got a few texts to get through now, but if you want to text us, it's 0488 809 855. So I'll just work my way through some of them that have come through. Um, Jules says, love your show. Most of us know and are horrified by deer damage in the Dandenongs. Um, And she is just wondering where people can voice their concerns about deer, I would say definitely with um, your local council. I'd go to the council for a start because they really need to be informed that people are feeling very strongly about this. absolutely. And then they refer you to another body and then you ring up that body and they'll refer you back to the council. And, and if you do see them, there's there's an app which I use yeah. frequently called the the um, feral politicians feral scan. need to yeah. know this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we need to yeah. go to the local council. We need to to, to go to, to state level as well. Yeah, this right. is serious. Yeah. 
Um, okay, Marion in Northcote says, um, thanks for letting me plead for the forests last week and today for the timely reminder about copper as a potential contaminant. To get peaches, I must spray with copper sulfate mix and here is the calm day with no rain and blossom forming. I will put a drop sheet underneath to keep the copper drips off the rest of the garden any tips to prevent clogging of fresh bordeaux mixture because <laughs> you're mixing copper mm. sulfate and lime together and yeah it blocks the jets on your spray fits or hand sprayers and things like that there's not much you can do because it is the it's the lime in it it's the calcium mm-hmm. um other than you basically you have your gloves on you've got to wash your jets out regularly or um, um, buy a pre, pre-mixed pre product. Yeah, true. Essentially. Um, just as some people like to mix up the – because it is sort of a natural product, um, we used to use that straight Bordeaux mix on peony crop each year um, because as the new buds are – stems are emerging on your peonies, it sort of stops any um, fungal spores that might have still been there and stuff. So Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we are going to Marnie in Red Hill. Hi, Marnie. Oh, hi. Thanks for waiting. Um, sorry about the sorry about uh, the wait. That's right. Thanks for the great show. Now, I have a bed of very old begonias, all tangled mess, which I would like to thin out and transplant some of them to another to another area. Um, I had a start yesterday, and oh my gosh, I thought I'd get down to the ground and pull up some, you know, rhizomes or whatever they are, but I couldn't, it's such a mess, I couldn't get down to the ground, so I've pulled out uh, quite a few, but they're on a long, so the leaves and flowers are presently on the end of long, you know, 12-inch long old stems, um, So, which a couple of them had a bit of roots on them, So, I've, but I've put them all, I've planted them all, but I don't know whether that's going to grow or not. So I'm just wondering what advice, how do you, what do you have to get up? What part of the, do you have to get up to be, for it to be successful? They'll pretty much grow from anywhere on the rhizome, but the tips are most successful, and they oh. certainly don't need roots. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, if... Would you take back the foliage, Craig? Yes. Yep, so, yeah, yeah remove some of the foliage. Um um, yeah, but otherwise, uh, <laughs> look, just go for it. And you can, really, you can plant any any part of the rhizome, and they'll bud back. But the the, the the quickest result is from the new tips. Okay, so I just sort of cut uh, what a few inch, four inches below the leaves. Yeah, perhaps a bit longer. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, and then just plant that. And you don't need roots; they'll, they'll oh. make roots very quickly. Oh, great! Yeah. Okay, yeah, terrific. Thank you very much. All right, good on your money. Bye. Thanks for waiting. Uh, Bye. Dear eat Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> off the list. Oh, no. yeah. Off the, yeah, off the yeah. list, yeah. <laughs> it's getting smaller again. Uh, they do it at this time of the year when the food's a bit lean. They'll leave them alone until right at the end of winter and the early spring when there's not much food around, and then they'll strip them. Mm. Yeah. So that's desperate eating, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah. Awful. Um Someone has texted in, am I correct that Craig talks about planting bulbs deep? 
on bulb packets they are quite specific about planting depths so is it okay to plant deeper than what is indicated on the packaging i think yes <laughs> i would encourage you to plant deeper and, yeah. and yes he is all about planting deep yep. yeah yep. And, and, and this is a time of year when i move them all which is probably going to create horror from the person <gasps> sitting next to me but, but i yeah. find with, with, with my daffs and things that at this time of the year i know where they are I'm not going to put the spade through the middle of a clump and destroy half of them. Mm-hmm. And I can get around and lift them all and move them. And, and it, it'll set you back the flowering this season. But by next season, they're away again. Do I have horror on my face? <laughs> I think it's a, re- a really good time of year to move them. Why don't you? Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of uh, daffies and galanthus and things that are flowering now they have very delicate, fibrous little roots that almost like thin cotton kind of, um, and once you damage them, you're introducing sort of fungal problems and things into basal plates and stuff. But um, So I just, I don't want to risk it if mm-hmm. that's, especially on some things that um, I grow, but yep. um, Craig's a better man than me. I, I know. I mean, we all have our methods. <laughs> That's and, exactly and, and right. It doesn't matter what you say; somebody's not going to agree with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I I get the spade really deep. Mm. So you take a whole a, clod a big of lump dirt. of yep. soil, and then I take mm. the whole clump of soil out, and then with my fingers, yep. tease it all out. Okay, you're forgiven. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just it's, I always forget where they are. Yep. Yep. And and then if I try to do it in the summer when you're supposed to do it, you know. I He's going to kill half of the spade. The yeah. and you lose half of them. Yeah. 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 Yep. Makes sense. Both make mm. sense. So, all right. Uh, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society have sent us a text saying they have their spring show September three and four as well. So that's another, yep. another um, exciting thing to add to the list. And no doubt, all the information will be up online. And also, we'll yep. They gen- read that out generally runs between nine and four both days. I think sure. Um, and yeah, a great great opportunity to go and um, have a look at yeah the gardens up there are amazing yeah um, and to have a look at all the spring flowers and things that you know there's floral competitions and um, that sort of thing. It's great chance to go and have a look at what other people are growing in their gardens and things and meet some of the great gardeners of the hills that belong to the Fernie Creek Court Society as well. Mm. We always need new members. You know? The Daffodil um, Show, really, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much at that time, yeah. yeah. And camellias and yeah. things and yeah, stuff that, um, yeah, there's some really good stuff. And that. it's and it's in the in the forest and amongst all the big trees. Yeah, it's 100 Hilton Road in um, Sassafras. Yep. Um, so pretty easy to find off the Mount Dandy Tourist Road and stuff. So yep. if anyone's interested, that's the 3rd and 4th of September. Do they have food? Um, I think the actual Hort Society put on scones and... Oh. Um, like morning tea yep. kind of thing. So, and it's nice. pretty cheap to. Yeah. You know. Very good. And if not, um, Fermi, we need some scones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> or I'll be baking the night before I can see that. Public yeah. announcement yeah. from yeah. Jane. Yeah. Um, mm. Somebody has texted saying in arid areas where hamamelis are impossible, try growing winter honeysuckle, Lanicera fragrantissima. Yes. They're a climber even. or a shrub? Uh, it doesn't say. It's, yeah. So it seems like a yeah. different plant, yeah? Mm. Yeah. But, okay. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm always a little bit alarmed by honeysuckle because they can... Very weedy. Very weedy, yeah. yeah. All right, and Anne from Northcote would like to know, is there... Oh, is there an opera coming up at Cloud Hill? Oh. Oh, <laughs> Didn't, oh uh, about that, did we? Uh, not <laughs> an opera, no. no we, we, uh, we have had uh, well, several singers from the Victorian Opera and also the Melbourne Opera Company uh, in previous years, but when I say previous years, uh, up until about two or three years ago, um, and uh, so we'll just wait for things to settle down before we tackle that again. Uh, we we have carried on with uh, with Shakespeare, and uh, um, although that was that was a bit of an adventure last year, we we had um, Romeo and Juliet. It was meant to be the first weekend of January, and then it was yes problems in January, so we moved it to February. And then Juliet wrecked her ankle, so, <laughs> so we ended up with Romeo and Juliet in March. Um, but, and this year, Ozak coming back with um, As You Like It, and again, it's meant to be, I think it's the second weekend of January. So we're keeping that going, uh, simply because we've been working with Ozak, or they've been working with us for so many years now, and we just hope things settle down and mm. we can start planning a proper season of um, twilight events um, maybe in a year or two yep um yeah so uh, yeah the, the bruce widop of ozak does have um, we're sort of discussing one or two things at the moment he started off with um, um a commedia group and of course we're, this is something i've been mucking around with in the garden <laughs> and so yeah, I, I hardly dare mention it because it's it's a big investment to go into something like that. Um, but uh, maybe keep an eye on the website and, yep. and we'll see. Yep. Good. So things are. Yeah. So we're, we're, along. yeah. So the, yeah, yes. Um, the theatre uh, in the garden actually works pretty well. Yeah. Mm. And people probably feel much more relaxed. Yes, coming to an hour. Yeah, hopefully this summer uh, is much more settled than last summer. Yeah, beautiful. All right, let's have a chat with Richard in Mitcham. Good morning, Richard. Are you there, Richard? Is Richard or Robert? Hello. Oh, Robert. Robert. Sorry, I read that out incorrectly, Robert. I'll, I'll answer to Robert. Uh... <laughs> well, good morning, Robert. <laughs> right, oh, good morning all. I'm looking out the window at a very heavy fog. But, uh, uh, daughter's got a, uh, a yew tree in Hawthorne that is unfortunately in the way of what she wants to do and it has to be moved. Any thoughts on moving a yew tree? No, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, How old is it? Oh, it's probably about a uh, good 20 years. <laughs> The soil's reasonably light soil over a, a fairly deep clay base. Yeah. Under, I understand uh, they will move, but I, I, yes, I'd be very nervous about it. And, and I guess if it has to be moved, um, uh, the, the the thing would be to root prune it first and try and 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 uh, not don't and and move it um, um, with a much more compact root system. But I think uh, it would be a 50-50 chance of success, if that. But uh, how quickly does it need to be moved? Uh, 
not, uh, no, there's no, there's no terrible uh, urgency about it. The only thing that worries me also, it's uh, it's underneath a uh, a ginkgo, and then you know, fairly close to a, uh, a quite handsome ginkgo tree. Are you concerned about cutting the roots on the ginkgo? Uh, well, I'm concerned about the whole project, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just uh, I heard you talking earlier about uh, about the yew tree, and I I thought I shall ask. Um, yes, I, look, there's there's not much experience of anyone moving yews in Australia, but I, I know that they are moved occasionally overseas. Um, but um, if if it if it definitely has to be moved, then I'd. Um, Root prune. I'd, I'd take the um, the u back. I'd clip it hard and and root prune and and try and move it over. A, uh, well, well, root prune it over six twelve months or so. So you'd um, you trench it. Yeah, trench it. Um, decide just how big a root ball you can move. It depends on how far it's got to be moved. Um, <laughs> It's got, to find, it's got to find a new home. Yeah. <laughs> well, for instance, uh, we moved a, um, a fir, a abies, uh, a few years ago. And uh, fortunately, I, I had a, um, um, I knew that we would have to do it. And so we, um, about 18 months beforehand, we put a trench around it and, um, um, in fact, we, we, we trenched it in, in two sections. So we trenched one third of it, uh, leaving gaps between the trench and then, and then cut the, the remaining roots uh, about three, four months later. So the shock was delivered in two bursts rather than one. And um, we ended up with a root ball, which was about a metre in diameter and about 30 centimetres deep. And so quite a lot of soil, but um, we only had to move it a few metres down a slope. So we used a uh, tarpaulin. <laughs> and we gravity. Managed, managed to sort of wriggle this thing free and, and then slid the tarpaulin under it. And then with four or five people, we slid it down the, uh, the slope into another hole to make room for a building. <laughs> and um, it's, we succeeded. I might say we cut back the top as well. Now, you, ha- you have to really... Be careful doing this with a conifer because mm. you can easily wreck them. Um, Use are fine because you can chop those back and they, they sort of bounce back from old wood, but uh, mm-hmm. not um, firs, not abies. Um, but we, we just thinned out branches uh, and and um, and um, so that it gradually thickened up again over the next four or five years and it, now it looks fine. It, it looks as though it's never been moved. But it needed a lot of thought, and and it was a eighteen month exercise. You know, my mind's ticking over, and I'm thinking about the the European bonsai artists who collect a lot of wild conifers, and you is on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be moved. So, it, so there's no doubt they can be moved. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 if you look in English magazines, you can buy mature yew hedges. So, but they'd be they'd be root pruned though. Yeah, but yeah. root pruned, and yeah. So, so that's the thing. If you've got oh. time to do it, you you need to, you don't just dig it up um, uh, without preparation. So you. you <laughs> Um, I think yeah, I think so what, uh, if, if you've got 12 months right. to do it in, you, you've got a much better chance of moving it successfully. And, and don't worry about damaging the ginkgo. It, it will have roots elsewhere that will sustain it. 
it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how deep should we trench it? A metre? Uh, so uh, how... How deep. How deep. Uh, well, most of the... Well, in our case, we went 30 centimetres deep with the ABs and I, oh. I, with the U, yeah, something like that. Um, 30 centimetres, yeah. that's really shallow. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, most of the uh, most of the feeder roots are in that. Uh, uh, are, are going to be uh, not going to be any deeper than thirty centimetres. Now you you will have uh, deeper roots directly underneath the plant, and and there you'll have to go a little bit deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you just have to figure it out as you dig it up. It depends on how it's growing and soil conditions, all sorts. And any thoughts if anyone might like it? <laughs> well, well, we'll let you know, Robert. We've got your number, so if someone rings in, in saying they're desperate for a yew tree, yeah, yeah, yeah bring, bring your spade over to Robert's place. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you very much for that uh, that advice. It's not a project that I look forward to. <laughs> Good on you, Robert. Good luck. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, and now we will go to the lovely Sue. Hi, Sue. Good morning, guys. How are you? Great show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just ringing up because I got given a black tulip magnolia and I have never grown magnolias before. I thought it will be a question for either Jeremy or for Craig on some advice. It's about two metres tall. Um, and she dug it out, cut it back, and it's got, I don't know if they're buds on it or leaves forming at the moment either. Is it better grown in a pot or in the ground? So when you say uh, you've been given it, someone actually dug it from the ground? Yes. She actually did move it probably about six months ago and finally got up from Geelong yesterday and has given it to me in a pot. Right. They're tricky to move, magnolias. Yeah, yeah they're not that keen on root disturbance, are they? Um, yeah. No, okay. It's and got new things that I don't know if they're buds or leaves forming on it. Most probably uh, leaf buds, although the, yeah, the flower buds are much bigger than the leaf buds. They look like I, a pussy willow size. Yeah, um, yeah, most probably leaf buds. I, I, I have heard of someone moving a collection of magnolias and this might be a bit of a shock, but they actually dug up the root system and actually cut back the top to a stump and then let it grow from the stump. Right. Um, And they had reasonable success moving them that way. It's it's a pretty savage thing to do because you're moving literally something just poking out of the ground uh, not very far at all. Uh, But if you try and move them conventionally, uh, they don't like it. Is it established in the pot, so? Absolutely. Oh, then it's fine. And it's about, it'd be one and a half, actually it's about one and a half metres tall and it's got about 20 buds on it. Yeah. It's been chopped back, as you can see where ah, it's right. been chopped at the top Okay, well. okay. And it could be that it wasn't, it, it was established uh, from a pot into a previous garden and it was still sitting in the root ball, in which case yep. most probably it will succeed. Yeah, what sort of spot would you put it in? I'm I'm in Mount Evelyn, so I, I get where I am situated. I don't get quite as cold as you, Craig, but I still get frost and things like that here. Oh, the frost was a non-issue. 
It isn't. No, no, because they're deciduous. Okay. They'll put up with a lot of frost. Mm. Okay. I, I would have thought an easterly aspect or... Yeah, I think what uh, they really don't like is wind. Okay. I don't get a lot of that here. Yeah. Yep. So at least half sun. Yeah. Um, and well, a bit of afternoon shade if need be, but... Uh, so it's morning sun is the best spot to put it. Um, I guess so. They, they, it's just that uh, they, they, they'll flower much better in the in some sunshine. Yeah. And black tulip, I, I think most probably you could grow it in full sun without too much fuss. Yeah, most probably. I, and I'd definitely put it in the ground, so... Yeah, okay. I'll put it on the front verge then because yeah. that's going to get more sun, sort of. I've got a block that doesn't get. It's, it's very, very tricky growing stuff. I've got to mainly do woodland sort of things in the front because I've got a massive oak tree that then shades everything and whatever. Now, I do uh, the mulch with the um, oak leaves too, run over it with the lawnmower and let it sit and mulch down and use that as mulch over my woodland. I'd like to know where you get your mix from too, Craig, that you, you're using because that's what, pretty Potting true. mix? No. Yeah, the... what you said, the mulch you were using oh, on your garden. Oh, just from a local arborist. Okay. Just off the back of his truck. Because that's not bad price for it, is it? Yeah, he won't deliver. Like, he, he works around a lender and yep. he, he considers me to be far away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. Yeah. But it's worth a trip then probably to get some. Yeah. Just at the moment I have got – I don't even have any garden paths down the front because I – I've just said to everybody, I'm just going to wait until the leaves all finish and then I'm going to rake it. But it's about two foot high at the moment from the oak tree. <laughs> yeah. But it makes a great mulch. Yeah. But I use, like what Jane was saying too, get underneath that leaf mulch and use um, that in the pots. If it's I've got stuff that needs moisture, it's amazing the difference it makes to the potting mix. It's yummy, okay. isn't it? Yeah. I, I, might come and steal, I might come and steal some oak leaves, see? You're most welcome to. But even when I'm planting a new plant, I actually put some of that um, composted down oak leaves in the bottom of the hole mm-hmm. because it yep. keeps it all quite moist as well. Perfect. So it establishes. Yeah. I do the that with the too. old. I do that with the old wood chip. That, that's oh, you know, yeah. that they're starting to decompose. I dig it in and get it in underneath them. Yeah, and a bit of worm castings that have come out of your compost. I'm actually, yeah. Jim's giving me a worm, another worm farm, so that'll be good because I used to use water crystals, but I find you can get away with just even using, mixing in the worm castings into your um, soil as well. Yeah. Anything to save money. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. All right, so we better keep moving, Dom. Yeah. Okay, All right, lovely to chat. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Oops, cut her off. Sorry about that. Um, we've only got a few minutes left. Um, people have been texting in like crazy. So if we don't get to your text, which we most likely won't, we'll deal with it next week. Um, so someone has texted saying um, when to put up collars for coddling moth. Um, definitely spring. So I'd be starting to think about them now. Just some hessian wrapped around the tree, apple trees. Um, and and throw them away every couple of weeks or so. The idea being that the adults get trapped in there and then you uh, dispose of them. And also, um, I suppose, scrape the mulch from around your tree and and maybe put down some cardboard and then some more mulch on top of that just to break that life cycle. Um, Anyone else have thoughts on coddling moth? Nope. All right. Well done. All right, that's that one done. Great. 
planting bulbs. Can I plant spring bulbs now? Very late, I know. Small gladiolus species hybrid and other small ones. Joyce. Well, your choices are you either you do or you don't, Joyce. Um, my my pick there would be do it. Um, but, yes, it, extremely late. You may find that they don't flower as well as what you would have hoped for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, definitely get them in this weekend. That's your job for today, Joyce. Yeah. I assume they're dry, not potted. Yeah, yeah I'm assuming they're just bulbs. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. say. Yeah. But, yeah, if they're in a pot, wait till they go dormant and then shift them. Um, But if they're dry, packeted bulbs, just be careful that they haven't just shriveled up too. But Mm -hmm. um, it's worth a try. Worth a try. Yep. And someone has written in saying, Hi, folks, use burgundy mix instead of Bordeaux mix. Burgundy doesn't block sprayer. Okay. I've used this every year and no leaf curl. Excellent. So that is all we have time for. I'd like to thank Jeremy Francis for your knowledge and coming in today. I'd like to thank Craig Wilson for your knowledge and coming in today and Jane Tonkin for your knowledge and coming in today. Very nice to see everyone. And thank you to Doug, our producer, and thank you to the listeners. And we'll be here again next week. So until then, bye-bye for now. Mm